So we were talking about the finders training. I mean, they've had amazing success at locating missing children, locating girls coming out of human trafficking, where the, actually having uh, the police go and do busts and trafficking rings. And so I, I remembered, I had a dream a couple years ago. I'm going to be a little fuzzy on the details. Uh, I'm fuzzy on the details, so I'm going to give it a little bit more general than what the dream was. I have to go look it up in my journal. But um, it, was, uh, it was about notable miracles. And in a two-week period, what had happened in our city is there was three notable miracles, and it was all people in our church connected to it. One was a um, city official. I believe it was, I believe it was a mayor. Um, but uh, their uh, child was missing, and someone from our church prophetically gave, the, uh, gave them information. They were located. There was uh, um, another uh, famous person in the city whose child was dying of cancer, and there was an um, imam's son who was raised from the dead, all in a two-week period. And it had done what um, Acts 19 said. It said, in the name of Jesus was held in high esteem. And so, um, so guys, those prophetic dreams, those, those, those things that God shows us, he's inviting us into the adventure of becoming those people. And so I encourage you guys, like, you may be the one who's going to be the one who, who fulfills that dream of raising somebody from the dead, of locating the child. And so if that's stirring on your heart at all, I encourage you, man, set aside the time to, uh, to take those. And um, can you imagine what that would be like? Perhaps not. I don't know. It's a little quiet. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. That kind of stuff gets me excited. You know, we're not called to just, Jesus didn't die so we could just go to church on Sunday. I'm not sure if you guys realize that. He didn't die for like, hey, let's, let's have a moral compass, and let's have a people who are good citizens. No, no, no. He actually called us to join him in what he said in 1 John 3, to destroy the works of the devil. And so, yeah, we, we are here. We are blessed to be a blessing. And so Jesus saved us so that we could redeem his planet, not just so we can uh, wait to go to heaven when we die. How many of you guys know the Left Behind movie was uh, in the fiction section for a reason? You weren't left behind, so we're all here just, just trying to keep our head above water, just treading water, just about drowning. No, he left us behind for a purpose, to transform the planet. I'll tell you what, you know, I don't know, I'll get to the notes here in a second. I got, I got some good stuff in here. I got some good news for you here. I'll tell you what I've been praying for. I've, I, there's some famous atheists that are on my heart. I don't want to necessarily name them, but um, I, I've just been praying, God, let us be the kind of church that if one of these famous atheists or even a non-famous atheist were to come in, they may not agree with everything that's going on, but they're going to have to say, you know what, there's something real going on there. there. There's a presence there. There's a power. There's something beyond just what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel and what science supposedly is able to measure. Anyway, that's, that's what we're going after. That's not what you signed up for. Then, um, hey, uh, enjoy the next hour. Here we go. All right, so... So I don't see my son Wesley. Wesley, are you here? Yeah, why don't you just come up and share that testimony? And I see he just ate a bite of food. So uh, I did not really prep him for this. But so uh, Wesley and Tori, his fiance, yes, my son is engaged. Yes, super excited. All right, I'll let you uh, get your mouth. Yeah, go, go ahead and do that. I'll set it up here. So they lead a ministry here at the church called The Well. It's for young adults, kind of 18 to 29, uh, kind of in that age range. Are we okay? Do we need a gargle? Are we okay? <laughs> Get the seeds out of your teeth. So um, they uh, did something last night. I really caught him at a bad time. I'm so sorry, son. It was a peanut butter cracker. Oh, peanut butter cracker. That's the worst. Yeah. I don't know how you... Oh, Got a whistle man. after that, That's right? at least yeah. a 30-second chew. Sorry. Um, so uh, Friday night, you know, it's good Friday. We thought, let's just kind of have a casual get-together. We'll just go to IHOP, you know, just down the street. 
Um, That's a good training center for ministry. I, I hop in Walmart. Those are just, it's a good place. Yeah, uh, and we really just started connecting with our waitress there, um, getting to know her name. She just started kind of sharing her story. Um, Tori was just incredibly good at connecting with humans. Um, and, um, and animals, but yeah, mostly humans, yeah. Right. And so she uh, started sharing some terribly tragic things that happened in her life. The waitress um, did, yeah. Yeah, the waitress did, not Tori. That would be awkward um, <laughs> to do to your waitstaff. Um, and then she shared, like, hey, uh, I've got, like, pins and needles in my feet, um, and they're kind of numb, and they just hurt, and I'm on my feet all day, and it's just awful. And Tori's like, well, hey, how about we pray for that, you know? And the waitress was a believer. Um, she's like, okay. So she sits down, uh, Tori starts praying, um, and the waitress goes, what is this? Uh, and she, she takes off her shoes and socks in the IHOP uh, and is like, there's color in my feet again. She, um, she started crying, um, and she was like, I, I, there's no pain anymore, you know, and I, I have to deal with this all day, walking around all day. She's a waitress. She's on her feet all day, and they hurt. Um, she's like, they don't hurt anymore. Um, so, yeah. It was, it was just a really beautiful thing, just being able to share. Uh, Tori started just kind of prophesying over her, telling her, like, this is who God says you are. You know, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but God has come to bring life. You know, that's his job for you. He's, he's never approved of any of the bad stuff that people have done in your life. Uh, and so, anyway, it was incredible. I, I thought we were just going to have, like, pancakes at 6 p.m. Um, and that's what we ended up with. So, so yeah. good. And they left her a good tip. So there you go. Always remember that when you minister to waitresses and you pray, you cannot say silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. You have to leave a good tip on top of it. All right. That was a freebie right there. All right. And so uh, I want to talk to you about Jesus today. And just so you know, we're not changing the subject. That's what we talk about every week. And it just, uh, it just gets better and better. So I remember I got a text one time from a guy. He texted the wrong number. And so uh, he texted me, it was a passage of scripture. So all of a sudden, just passage of scripture. And so I'm like, hey, I don't recognize this number. Who is this? And he responds, Brother Todd. And I'm like, Brother Todd who? And uh, he says, sorry, wrong number, but do you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. He's everything to me. Um, you know, how's your relationship with Jesus? And here's what he said. You know, trials and tribulations, but I will make it somehow. And I, I just, I, I, you know, I meet a lot of Christians and they kind of have this attitude where it's just like, this is kind of the normal is we're just kind of walking around, we're just waiting for the rapture with our head between our, you know, head between our legs, that doesn't make any sense, head, head down, tail between our legs, whatever. We're discouraged. People are discouraged. And so the word Christian means someone who is acting like Christ. Okay, and so if, I think if the world were to look at how Christians are acting and representing Jesus, they would expect to open the scriptures and read something like this. And a man from Galilee said to Jesus, how are you doing today? And Jesus replied, verily, verily, I say unto thee, the devil's after me. Everywhere I turn, trials and uh, tribulations, it's allergy season, and I've tried everything. Rebuking the devil in between sneezes, claiming that they're just lying symptoms and I'm really healed. My camel broke down. Smash my thumb with a hammer at the carpenter shop. I don't know how much longer I can take this. 
How long, O Lord, do you not love me? Are you punishing me for for something, God? Call the intercessors. Get my name on the Elijah list. I think I'm going to change my name from Jesus to Job Jr. I think a a lot of people would expect to read a scripture like this, but I got some good news for you. That's not what we see. I want you to see this. I'm not saying that the Christian life is just a life of better roses. It's just so good. Everybody's cheering your name, writing songs about you, and you walk into a room and they're chanting. No, 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 that's not how it is, right? But every trial, every attack, everything that comes your way, there is a victory in that, in that situation. You can actually rise above those things. So I want to talk, about to you, to you, uh, I want to talk to you about the total victory of Jesus because his total victory means your total victory. Okay? He didn't just win it and we're like super impressed and way to go, Jesus. He actually united you to that victory. And so the victory that he won, you are now able to walk out in your life. Does that sound like good news? All right, so turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. And here's, the, I love what the scriptures do, because you can't figure out the invisible realm, the spiritual realm, from just your see, taste, your smell, or feel, your imagination. It has to be revealed. And so scriptures, they pull back the curtain on what's going on in the spiritual realm. And so we're going to get a lot of insight into what, happened and what happens in the spiritual realm when we're attacked, what happened when Jesus actually died, what happened in between death and resurrection. It's going to be some awesome stuff. And so uh, let's look at where does this battle with the enemy primarily take place? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not going to wage war according to the flesh. In other words, although we lead a normal life in these fleshly bodies, we don't wage war in this flesh-to-flesh manner. For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but have divine power to pull down strongholds. So he's saying the weapons of the Christian's warfare to knock down the devil's strongholds, they're not governed by human strength. There's a spiritual strength. There's a different strength. Um, Next verse. Oh, by the way, it's not a fair fight because our weapons have divine power. We're going to get to that in a second, okay? It's, it's not like, ooh, the devil and God, which one's going to win? It's, it's, it's not a close contest at all, okay? Verse 5, we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So where is this warfare taking place? Arguments, opinions, knowledge, and thoughts. Guys, we have to understand the battleground is in the mind, the battleground is not out there somewhere. It's not in some, your spirit battling between some old man and new man. It's actually in your mind. Steve Backlund, who comes here every year, we love him. He says, the highest level of spiritual warfare is to take every thought captive. And I want to show from this passage and from the, and from the verse that we're going to be looking at that the, infin- the infinite victory Christ has won over the devil. In every area, the devil has been defeated. This is going to be such good news. I hesitate to even use the term spiritual warfare because this is the weirdest war you will ever fight in. Okay? The idea that there's a power out there that has to be overcome, you can forget about that. That power has already been overcome. If you enter into spiritual warfare to win a battle that has already been won by Christ, that's called self-righteousness. God does not need you to defeat the devil because the devil has already been defeated. Do you see how this is a weird battle? Who defeated him? The devil did. And you're like, well, hold on. How do I do that? Because you're entering into his victory. His victory became your victory. When he died, it says you died. You guys, total identification with Christ. When he rose, you rose. Now that he is reigning, guess where you're at? Down here. The devil's at. No, no, you're reigning next to him. Like, Jim, it doesn't feel like it. That's why we need to have scripture renew our minds because we can't feel our way into our spiritual place or our spiritual identity. Oh, did I say the opposite again? Oh, my gosh. I hate it when I do that. So I said the devil. 
Okay, it's Jesus who won the victory, not the devil. Yes. I tell you what, big doors swing on small hinges. Those little, those little changes there. I hate it when I do that. I get so passionate, I'll be like, oh yeah. Grace and peace. See, guys, the devil, he got after me when I said, no, it was just a slip of the tongue. This is an odd, this is an odd uh, thing. Actually, the devil can't make you do anything unless without your cooperation, so there's some good news. So I know that was a funny skit in Saturday Night Live back, what was that, Flip Wilson? Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. The devil doesn't make you do anything. You, you fully volunteer, and you can fully resist. So this is an odd statement, but there's actually no such thing as spiritual warfare. Warfare implies a battle between two enemies, one of whom has yet to be defeated. The enemy has been completely defeated, so now it's a matter of of spiritual authority. Of you recognizing your place, we're going to look at it here in just a second, it's going to tell you to stand. This is going to be good. All right, so Ephesians chapter 1, the Passion Translation. Aren't you guys thankful for the Passion Translation? Paul prays for the church of Ephesus. I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. The point being made is that the power that you have is not like, hey, it's, it's kind of like Jesus' power. It's, kinda, it's the exact same power. The same power that Jesus operated in, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that's the same power that now works within us. Are you seeing how we can't feel these things? Sometimes you wake up, you don't feel full of the power of Jesus. Anyone else ever had that happen? You're not, I'm just not feeling resurrection power coursing through my veins today. That's why we need to renew our minds and have this veil pulled back, this curtain pulled back, and go, wow, look at what has happened. Okay? So you don't just have a little bit of power from God, you have the same power, and it's more than enough power to accomplish his will in your life. Let's look at the next verse, verse 20. This is the mighty power that was released when God raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to the highest honor and supreme authority in the heavenly realm. And now he is exalted as first above every ruler, authority, government, and realm of power in existence. Wow, he's above the government. So do we need to just camp on that one? I don't care which side of the political spectrum. Um, there ain't no person in office, the presidential office that's going to save us. The answer is not a Republican, a Democrat, or a Libertarian, or an Independent. Above every ruler, authority, government, and realm of power in existence. I'm not saying we shouldn't vote and shouldn't pray about our votes. I'm just saying that's not what's going to change this planet. He is gloriously enthroned over every name that is ever praised, not only in this age, but in the age that is coming. And he alone is the leader and source of everything needed in the church. God has put everything beneath the authority of Jesus Christ and has given him the highest rank above all others. And now we, his church, are his body on the earth and that which fills him who is being filled by it. Everything that is good in our life from the, from, uh, as believers comes from our union with Christ. Here's what this means. Everything that is now true of Jesus is now true of us. Like, you can't get there by logic. You can't be like, yeah, that makes total sense. No, 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 we have to get this through revelation. So the same way that Jesus is above every ruler, authority, government, and real power in existence, so are we. I'm going to keep going here. Let's see if we can convince you. Because this is one of the greatest passages on the authority of the believer. There's no place in the New Testament where we are told to ask God to do something about the devil's works. He gave us authority to do those things. Look at the way the apostles prayed. I mean, they're taking authority. They're recognizing what God's given them. They're, they're displacing things. 
every name uh, that can be named, names like cancer, names like genetic disorder, names like poverty, names like mental illness. Guys, I want you guys to get this. As high as God is above the grasshopper, he is that high above Satan. The opposite of God is not Satan. God has no opposite. The opposite of Satan is Michael the archangel. It's not a contest up there. God is not sweating. God has chosen to rule this universe out of his nature, which is love, and love has to be chosen. And if God was any more obvious, it wouldn't be a choice. There will be a day when there will be involuntary worship where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. There will be a day that when you see him, your only response will be to fall on your face and say, he is the one. But he, so that will be the end of time. But now he wants out of a relationship to us to be able to choose him, so he chooses, now he reveals himself, and we choose by faith. Are you guys seeing this? If he was any more obvious, you can see on the cross, he's up there, or not on the cross when he's before Pilate, and Pilate's like, hey, who are you? And he's remaining silent. Why? Because he knew if he talked too much, he'd probably blow the whole thing and he'd never be crucified. There's a hiddenness to the kingdom, and those who search him find him. How are we doing? So everything was paid for on the cross, but if the devil, if, imagine the devil, you know, what else to say was 33 AD, you know, and so 33 AD, uh, that Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. And so uh, if the devil had like a list of goals that year, like the goal would be make sure Jesus does not raise from the dead. Because if he can keep Jesus, or at least make it uh, more than uh, three days, because Jesus said he'd raise in three days, if he could at least keep him there four days, like that would be number one priority of all of hell. That's all they had to do. Don't let Jesus raise from the dead. So let's look. The Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail, but let's look at what happened when Jesus died. You guys ready for this? Ephesians chapter four, verse uh, Ephesians four, verses seven through nine. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says. Now he's quoting Psalm sixty-eight. Okay, so he's taking this Old Testament passage and he's going to expand it here. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Paul's making it clear that when Jesus died, the Old Testament called it Sheol. The New Testament called it Hades. Uh, Jesus, he died, he was resurrected, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he actually went into this underworld, this netherworld, this, this, place, this place of Sheol, let's just call it that. And so um, where does this verse 8 come from, where he said there was captives, I, King James says he led captivity captive. I think this translation said he led captives in his train. So like, what is going on here? So let's go back, and remember he's quoting Psalm 68. Are you guys following me so far? He died, he rose, what's going to happen when he, when he died? What's, okay. So he's, gonna, uh, he's quoting Psalm 68. So let's look at the kind. Sometimes when the, Old Testament, when the New Testament's quoting an Old Testament passage, it's helpful to go look at the context of that Old Testament passage. See, they knew their Bibles a lot better. They didn't have Netflix and Amazon. They had the scriptures, and so they're keeping them before their mind. And so they could just quote a little bit of the verse, and they would pull up the whole context. Right? If I, I mean, some of you may get this. When four score and seven years ago, it might begin to pull up the Gettysburg Address. It might begin to pull up that context. See how you could just say one phrase? That's how it worked in the New Testament. Are we okay? So let's look at Psalm 68. Am I talking fast? Well, listen faster. Okay, I'm excited here. <laughs> Psalm 68, uh, this is the context that he's quoting. May God arise, may his enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him. 
As smoke is blown away by the wind, may you blow them away. As wax melts before the fire, may the wicked perish before God. But the righteous be, may the righteous be glad and the righteous before and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Verse 17. The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come to Sinai into his sanctuary. When you ascended on high, here's the quote, you led captives in your train. You received gifts from men, even from the rebellious, that you, O Lord God, might dwell there. Here he's painting this picture of the God of Israel coming down and fighting, before, uh, fighting for Israel, and he's giving this picture of captives being led in their train, okay? So um, here's the picture. Is there actually are ancient inscriptions of kings who did this. When they would, uh, when they would defeat the enemy, they would parade them naked. Uh, sometimes there's a picture with a rope around their waist, a hook in their jaw, their hands bound. And so the king would go and he'd plunder the city, take all the gold, take all the wealth, and he would come back to his city with all the captives in his train. You see the picture? The king has this procession and all the slaves are behind him. Okay? He's saying this is what happened when Jesus went into hell. There's some crazy teaching that Jesus went into hell and he was tortured. There's no scripture that talks about this. He went in there in complete victory. He plundered hell and took the captives in his train. And here's the picture in the Colossians 2. You ready for this? When you, you, when you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to the cross. Now, here's the picture of what happened. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. What's he saying? Man, he went down there in total victory. But what, the spiritual world, they all know that the enemy has been disarmed and defeated. He has no arms and no feet. And so... Um, <clears throat> So Revelation 20 describes the cross as the devil being bound with a chain. He no longer has any power. There's this uh, expression in Psalms that says, you have broken the teeth of evil. That's, a, that's an expression of the shepherds. And so the shepherds, they had this club. So picture kind of a long stick with almost like a golf club uh, thing at the end. And so if uh, the shepherd here, he is watching his sheep, sometimes a pack of uh, wolves or a pack of dogs would come and attack. And he knew he couldn't get them all, you know, one at a time, try to club them to death. And because, you know, the other sheep would probably get eaten. So he would take it, and he would smash the teeth of the dogs, or smash the teeth of it. So now, even though he didn't have to completely kill them or destroy them, they had no teeth. And he says, metaphorically, that's what God has done to Satan. He has broken the teeth of evil. So now he has a bark, but there's no bite. Because this, he's, he's pulling back the, 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 the curtain on what's going on. The only power the enemy has against you is Deception. And when you believe a lie, you empower the liar. What's the, what's the name of the, uh, one of the nicknames of the devil? The father of lies. Guys, if he had power, he could just go and run ransack all over your life. But he doesn't have that. So he has to get you to be deceived to give him a position of authority in your life. How are we doing? So I, I've alluded to this. Yeah, so Satan's the, the great illusionist. So I've alluded to this. Uh, Jesus didn't just defeat Satan. He united you to that victory. So, I mean, we're looking at these passages, the complete dis, you know, disarming of Satan, the complete defeat of Satan, disarmed all of his powers, paraded it. All the spiritual realm knows what happened. They're not to see. That's why well, like, when Jesus shows up on the scene, they're like, oh, no, is, are, you, are you the Holy One? Are you the Son of David? Have you come to torment us? They knew what was coming. All of them know that. So here's what happens. Uh, so Jesus, he has this victory, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. Here's what happened to him uniting you to that victory. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, 
And we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated as one with Christ. Look at those words, raised and co-seated, okay? So that's in a verb tense, which indicates that it's something that God has already accomplished in Christ. It's not like, oh, you know, in the, it's going to be so good in the sweet by and by when we die. No, we get to have steak on our plate while we wait. You don't have to wait till heaven for all the good promises to happen. They're actually available now. That's why those things were past tense. You, he has raised you and has seated you. To be raised with Christ and made to sit together in the heavenly realms indicates not only a location, but a position of authority. Okay? So I want you guys to get this. When you're looking at a situation in your life that looks difficult, I want you to see it from ultimate reality as you are looking at it seated in heavenly places. Have you ever looked, like, looked down from an airplane and as, you, as things get over, things look smaller? What if you began to do that with your problems? You began to look at them from heaven's perspective. Just, just kind of a thought. We're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. You've already won it, now you're enforcing that victory. So I think I've told this story maybe three or four times in 13 years at Zion, but it's just so good. It's just so good. You guys ready? It's the physics test story. Okay, here we go. So when I was, uh, uh, when I was a, uh, a young man at the University of Michigan, <laughs> I was pre-med, and one of the classes we had to take was physics. And so we had this professor that didn't give a rip about the students. He had a grant from NASA, and in order to uh, renew the grant, he had to teach the lowly introductory physics students. And so he's teaching away, and um, it was very confusing. He would, literally, he'd be writing these, these formulas on the board or copiously taking notes, and literally at the end of class, he'd go, hold on, this is wrong. This is all wrong. Just come back, come back next time. We'll try to fix it. So he has just got us all in mass confusion. So the first test happens, and uh, he graded on a curve. Literally, like, the highest scores were, like, a 30%. Like, 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 people are bombing that bad. And so, you know, people are panicking over their grades or GPAs, trying to get into med school. And so, I mean, people are crying, openly crying. And so... Um, <laughs> so I get this bold strategy. I'm like, well, I'm at the University of Michigan Dearborn. I'm like, I, I know he used to teach at Ann Arbor. Sometimes professors would put copies of their old exams in the library for people to study for. So I drove up to Ann Arbor. Sure enough, he had some copies of old exams. And so I'm kind of like uh, studying for the next exam, looking at his practice tests. And uh, so I, I, I you know, kind of prepared that way. And I get to exam number two, and I look, and it's the exact same exam as the one in the library. And so I'm like, thank you, Jesus. This is awesome. And because they're grading on a curve, I'm not going to tell anybody about this little nugget. And so, um, so I get like, a, like an 80% on the exam or something like that. Everyone's like, who is this physics god who is busting the curve? You know, everyone else is like 20 and 30 is the high score, and then there's this 80. So I decided to employ a bold new strategy. I'm no longer going to go to the classes. I'm just going to strictly trust that the exam that is in the library, and I'm going to show up on exam day and assume it's going to be the same thing. Can you guys see the brilliance of the strategy? I just need you to know, I haven't always been this saved, okay? And so uh, I've grown since then. And so, uh, so exam number three, take it, boom, it is the exact same exam, 100%. 100%. People are like, who is this person who's getting 100%? It's impossible because the professor was just impossible. Exam number four, 100%. So it comes down to the final, and the final is cumulative. It means it's a, it's, it includes the new material plus all of the old material, People are panicking. Like, I had study groups in the library that I didn't need to partake of. And, uh, but I, I had, you know, friends were in them. People are literally crying. They're shaking. I mean, they're just totally stressed to the max because they're just bombing. And so um, I show up full of confidence for the final. 
full of confidence. And so there have been some rumors of some cheating strategies. So the professor has these assigned seats. And so now everyone's sitting by someone they don't know. And they're, okay, there's just tension in the room. And so uh, I, I think it was going to be like a two-hour exam. And I get in there, and I finish in like 20 minutes. Same exam, boom. I don't know anything about physics. <laughs> I don't need to know anything about physics. I, I got the answers. I don't need to become an expert on laws of momentum or anything like that. So this is honestly got truth. Again, I'm not proud of this part of the story. I'm just telling you how it happened, okay? And so I uh, finished it in 20 minutes, and there were kind of like the theater-style seats. You know, there's probably like two or 300 people in the room. So uh, <laughs> theater-style seats. So when you stand up, the seat would go... Thum, 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 thum. <laughs> and I knew this, and so I made sure it was extra dramatic. <laughs> 20 minutes. Thum, 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 thum. You could just hear it go through the room like... Like, there's no way someone could be done by now. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're all panicking still. Is this the, is this the physics god? You know, is, is this the guy? And I'm thinking, no, I'm just a man. Do not worship me. So I walk to the front of the room. Tons of confidence. This is, this is honestly, this is, I, like, I'm not proud of this part. This is what I said. I slapped the test down on the teacher's desk, and I said, I was hoping you were going to challenge me this time and walk out. Oh, Yeah. I told you, I haven't always been this saved, okay? <laughs> Lord, forgive them of their judgment. <laughs> I want you to know, um, I, why was I so confident? I walked in there with the answers to the test. I didn't have to become an expert on the test. Okay? Listen, guys, when you walk into a situation, you have total victory. You have the answers. You don't have to become an expert on the problems. You just have to have full confidence in the answers. Like, Jim, you really pulled that one up with the last minute there. <laughs> what does it look like to fight from victory? I made that statement. We don't fight for victory. You fight from victory. What does it look like? Recognizing you have the answers to ace the test. Guys, I was full of peace at that test. I was untroubled as there was panic and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Perfect peace. Guys, we don't fight these battles in our own strength. We become, we become preoccupied with Jesus and his resources. Ephesians 6 talks about putting on the full armor of God. I want you to get this. It's the armor of God. It's God's armor. It's not time for you to bolster your self-esteem and get all fat and sassy, and I know this and I know that. No, no, no. It's, each one of those pieces is a different picture of the finished work of Christ. That's where we're putting our confidence in. So you can come into any situation confident, restful and untroubled. You're like, Jim, you're being unrealistic. You know, that's just not natural. That's exactly what I'm talking about. It's moving beyond the natural of this world and moving into the rest and peace and confidence that comes from knowing we have the answers. You don't have to become an expert on the problem. How are we doing? Let's say you're in financial lack. This is one of those moments of crisis where heaven can invade earth. Here's what most Christians do is they begin panicking and they begin putting out the prayer requests for their financial situation. And sometimes, you know, people will meet the need. God gets very little glory in that because you've moved into the natural realm. I'm not saying it's wrong. Sometimes it, sometimes it may be okay. But what if you did this? You put your confidence in God. And you said, God, we're trusting you. I remember the first time Mary and I did this. We, uh, we were in seminary, and I needed $4,000 to graduate. And so I had, you know, gone to seminary for 32 months, 120 credits, two master's degrees, and they're like, you can't graduate. You don't have the money. So that was, that, was, that was a punch in the stomach. And I think we were, um, we were at the tax bracket of making $13,000 a year then. 
That's not a lot in case you're wondering, especially when you got a kid, all right? So you're like, well, how long ago was that? It was the 1950s. That's when it was. And so, <laughs> and so, um, so anyway, so we, we get this thing. And so Matt and I realized, like, this is our chance. This is our chance right now to trust God. And we probably could have called some family members and, and put some things out. And maybe in some situations, that's okay. Okay, I'm not, I'm not trying to put that down. But I, I feel like so many people, they haven't given God a chance to work. And so Mary and I, we prayed. And I think we needed the money by like Friday, something like that. We prayed, um, let's just call it a Saturday or a Sunday. Within three days, we had uh, checks from three different people for $4,075 coming to our mailbox. Um, one was from someone I hadn't talked to in 15 years. One was from a family member, and so another one was from a distant relative I'd maybe seen three times in my whole life. Like, I don't even know how they found out where we were living. <laughs> Guys, which one gets more glory? You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, so what happened? Mary and I realized we could actually trust God as our provider, not just by theory, not just by quoting scriptures. Quoting scriptures are great, especially when it lines up with your experience, and now you know it by experience and not know it by theory. How we doing? Here's a powerful statement. Demons can't have babies. I'll explain that in a second. That means every demonic power that you meet today was at the cross and knows that they're defeated. The demons you confront today are the very ones that were defeated at the cross. They are still dealing with first-generation defeat, and they know it. And we are the victors in another's victory. The very victory of Christ is within us. That's why I said it's a weird warfare. There's nothing left to win. So, Jim, what do we do? Because you're like, I feel attacked. I got physical problems. I got relational problems. I got financial problems. How do I handle this? Let's look at Ephesians 6. A lot of people consider this to be the clearest spiritual warfare passage. So let's look at how we're supposed to handle this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We're circling in for landing. You guys doing okay still? All right. So, hold on, it's 11.36, oh my goodness. Yeah, that's right, I think I might do my next week's sermon here. This is, man, this is early for Zion. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's pretty good advice right there. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Here's the deal, guys, if you can hug them, they're not your enemy. Hey, Facebook, if you can hug them, they're not your enemy. All those people that you have the disdain for and that you're putting on blast, they're not your enemy. I'm not saying we shouldn't resist evil. I'm not sure we're saying we shouldn't call some things out, but we should do it in love. Your boss at work ain't your enemy. There's a spiritual force behind it that's having them have obnoxious personality disorder. It's, it's not a real diagnosis, but it should be. Verse 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. What are we fighting against then? But against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places, all of whom have been defeated. Verse 11, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy. Are you seeing the strategy here? First we're able to stand firm. Now we're able to resist in the time of evil. Then after the battle you will be standing firm. Stand your ground putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the piece that comes from the good news. These are each different pieces of, the, of, the, of what Christ has done. Uh, and then your shoes, good news, so that you'll be fully prepared. Verse 16, in addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith and stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
That's why I said it's, uh, it's an interesting passage. The Ephesians 6 doesn't say, fight, fight, fight. So many Christians are looking for the devil under every single doorknob. How does it say? How does it say? This? It says to stand. It says to stand firm. It says to resist the enemy. Standing firm. Stand your ground. Does anyone see a theme there? What's our job? Is to stand. So I remember there was this uh, preview, and I, I only saw the preview, and I made the whole staff come to the movie, and the movie wasn't that great. I don't remember what. Uh, what was, remember that one uh, with what was it, Jeff Bridges? Seventh Son. I think it was Seventh Son. Not recommending it, but I remember the preview. There was this incredible scene. And there was this like giant dragon-like thing, like uh, maybe like the size of this room, this giant dragon, nasty-looking thing. And he comes right up to his face, and he's standing there, and the thing like screams in his face, and his hair is blowing back, and he just stood his ground. That's the only part of the movie that I liked. And so I love that picture. I remember one time I had this dream, and I had an, I was I was uh, we're, I was with an army. And there was the hordes of hell, and they were banging their shields together. And it was this intimidating sound. And um, we heard the Lord's voice say, stand. I mean, there was just hordes and hordes of them. And as they charged us, we stood. The ground opened up, and they all fell into the ground and were swallowed up. Guys, that's a pretty good picture. What's our job? Don't freak out. Stand. The enemy can throw his lies, his wiles, and deception, but you will not be moved. You will not flinch. What does it mean to resist? Okay, so, Sean, you want to come up here for a second, but don't hurt me. All right. Let's give it up for Sean. Sean. I know Sean can bench press me with one arm, so let's do it. So, uh, to resist. And so, um, if you were to come at me, and I was, don't come at me like full force. Come at, me, come at me like I'm Rachel's little sister, if she, if she had a little sister, like, like a child. Okay, so come at me. What does resist mean? Well, gee, Sean, what am I doing resisting? I'm, I'm, I'm going the opposite. I'm pushing against that. Thank you, Sean, for being kind. So resist, so the devil's saying, give in to fear, give in to panic. What's resist mean? Not going to go there. I'm going to move in the opposite spirit. I'm going to move in joy. I'm going to move in peace. I'm going to move in confidence. The doctor's giving you a bad report. What's the enemy? Oh, man, the doctors are experts. They're the final authority here on human earth. No, they're actually not. This financial situation doesn't look good. Guys, your prosperity in your finances is not going to come out of your financial wizardry. It's going to come because Jesus paid for it on the cross. He would no more rather have you in poverty than he would have you in adultery. He paid for you to come out of both. I'm not saying every Christian should be a zillionaire, but you should have the provision for your vision and enough left over to be, finan- to be financially generous. Whole nother message, whole nother series, it's still good news. He thought of everything and didn't leave anything out. The victory is fought in our minds. When I know what Christ did, when I know how defeated Satan is, when I know who I am now because Christ lives in me, when I know that when he won, I won, I now have the authority and I know darkness must fall. I remember I was like 10 years old. We lived in Kentucky. I've never been a big fan of snakes. I don't even like worms. And so, um, and so I'm, I'm playing basketball in the driveway, and there was this snake that came up, and uh, it seemed big at the time. I don't know, I really remember how big it was, but it seemed like it was maybe like three or four feet. And it hissed up, and it kind of did like the cobra position. I'm not saying there was a cobra in Kentucky, but I'm 10 years old, and I'm playing it, and I'm frozen in fear. This thing is hissed up, and it looks like it's going to bite my leg. And uh, my dad ran and grabbed a baseball bat and smashed its head into the ground. And so the body was still moving, but the head was so smashed into the ground it couldn't go anywhere. You guys getting the picture? 
Here, here's the scripture in, um, in, uh, in Genesis. It says that, it prophesies, it says, you know what? There's going to be one rise up who uh, bruises the heel of, the, of the, wo- the seed of the woman, but he will crush the serpent's head. That's another picture, guys. The enemy, it, can, it looks kind of scary still. If you were to walk up on that scene and see that thing wiggling and be like, oh my gosh, what's going on? But then you look and you see the head is smashed. It can't do anything. I remember we went to the, uh, thank you, Mary, I, I take that, yeah, I, I take that, yeah. Uh, Columbus Zoo, I remember we went up there, and um, here are these snakes in there that are full of venomous poison, but you know what? Their power is kept behind glass, okay? The enemy's power is kept behind the glass of the cross. It can't get to you. If you'll agree with it, if you'll believe it, unless you're deceived and you agree and you don't resist But when you begin to resist, you begin to stand in the power of the victory that came from another. No Christian has an excuse to moan about the enemy. Hashtag real talk. How we doing? 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Here's a new identity statement for you. You are a thorn in the side of the enemy. 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thanks be to God, you ready for this, who always leads us in his triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Always, every place. Excuses, bye-bye. There's no such thing as spiritual warfare, guys. It's a weird war because we're fighting from the victory of Christ. And in this light, we will, uh, we'll continue on looking at some more things in some more weeks. But let's memorize a verse together. You guys ready for this? We memorized this one before. It's just one of my favorites. And so uh, Psalm 16, 8. All right, let's say it together. And then we're going uh, we're we're to say it out loud. If you're going to memorize a verse today. Doesn't that just feel so good? Some of you, you're not interested. Okay. All right, there we go. All right, let's say this again. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be, well, shall not. Okay, all right. Well, let's, well, shall, let's do shall not. I like that. That sounds a little bit more in your face, doesn't it? So let's say it again. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. All right, now close your eyes and let's say it. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. All right, now just turn and say it to your neighbor one last time here. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. So guys, whatever situation you're facing this week, we need the Lord to be set before you. I love that. It's like it's at my right hand. So sometimes I'll just, I'll just like doing something, I'll just realize my right hand, and I'll just begin to realize the Lord is at my right hand. That's that hand of strength, right? What does it mean to set the Lord always before you? So when you're facing a situation, I'm imagining him, I'm imagining reality, I'm placing him in the middle of that situation. He's ahead of me in that situation. You guys seen the picture? This is how we can begin to do these things. We're bringing the Lord's victory into that situation. He's at your right hand. He's as close as the air you breathe, and you will not be shaken in any situation. Is that good news? All right, let's stand for closing prayer. But before we do, how about we quote that verse together? I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be I feel like I'm saying it wrong. I shall not be shaken. 
Jesus, we're so thankful for the cross. We thank you that you went through hell and went into hell so that we never have to. We never have to experience uh, the wrath of God. We never have to experience separation from you. We never have to experience the guilt and condemnation of our sins anymore. Lord, we just thank you for relieving us. Lord, I just thank you that, Lord, you didn't just get us out of debt and into the, uh, in, you know, out of debt, but you brought us into the positive. That, Lord, every situation, we have your victory. We have your peace. And Lord, I, just, I, I know that people are facing some difficult situations. I pray right now that hope would begin to rise, whether it's relationships, health, finances, some inner turmoil, difficult decisions. Lord, I thank you that they have the mind of Christ. And I pray that, that, uh, that these verses would begin to, to rise up. Lord, the picture of the enemy with a, uh, stripped naked with a hook in his jaw, uh, with his sham authority being completely stripped before the universe. So I just pray for a great confidence to come over us as, as your people. We love you, Jesus. And so, Lord, I just pray for these situations. Lord, we're not trying to make light of them. But, Lord, I just pray for an extreme revelation that, you know what, you are right in the middle of these things. We are setting you before us. You're at our right hand, and we will not be shaken this week. So I bless your people in the name of Jesus. Hey, before we close out, I just wanted to give anyone a chance here who uh, is not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've heard about him. Maybe you were sprinkled as a child. Maybe you were kind of raised in that environment, but you never made the decision and said, you know what, God, I'm all in. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to learn from you how to be like you. It's not just about believing facts about Jesus, but you're actually putting your trust in him putting your confidence in him. You're, you're placing him in those situations. And so if you're here this morning, I, I just love to give you a chance. We'd like to pray with you. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but Jesus said this, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. And everybody in here who's a believer, there was a day where they said, God, this is it. I'm trusting you. And it's that one decision, and it's a whole bunch of decisions after that to keep saying yes. But um, is there anyone here, you're like, Jim, I want to I wanna know Jesus. I want to I wanna trust him. I want to become a follower of Jesus. Is there anyone in here, if you just raise your hand, we'd like a chance to pray with you. Anybody in here? You're like, Jim, I want to become a follower of Jesus. Anybody in here? Listen, if you didn't raise your hand, our ministry teams will be coming up here. We'd love to pray with you. If you're online, man, connect with us. Uh, info at ZionEquip.com. We've got some resources. We'd love to help you get plugged in wherever you're at. And so, uh, Lord, I bless your people to be the most dangerous people in Columbus, Ohio. Lord, I just thank you that we're on offense. We're not on defense. Lord, I just thank you that uh, we get to join you in destroying the works of the devil, Lord, in our families, in our workplaces, in our our inner lives, and in our city. And Lord, we bless the Normandy Project, God, that you've got resources for everything we need. In the name of Jesus, amen. Bless you guys. Happy Resurrection Day, everybody.